Before we start, it helps to re-listen to episode 2 first. A lot of the info here ties back to what we said there, and we'll try to minimize the amount of time we refer back to it in this episode. Because we imagine it sometimes gets rather annoying when I constantly say, see episode 5, or see episode 8, or 22, or whatever. But this method of referring back to episodes by number ensures that our episodes are no longer than they need to be. As you may have already noticed, we refer back to the analogy of cars and engines a fair bit on this show. And the reason is that we take a similar approach when we explore sustainability and our planet. The Earth is basically a large engine. The Earth's liquid outer core revolves around the solid inner core, basically turning our entire planet into a large electromagnet. See episode 13 for more information on electromagnets. And while this is useful for determining which way is north, it also acts like a big force field preventing particles from the sun from raining destruction on our planet. Without this force field, or magnetosphere, the life on our planet would die, and more importantly, we would have no northern lights. Another example of this is that if you trend oxygen and carbon dioxide levels over long amounts of time, there are noticeable increases and decreases in the levels that corresponds to seasonal changes as many plants go dormant during the winter months. If you look at one of these graphs, it looks a lot like the planet inhales and exhales on a yearly frequency. Engines breathe too. That's what the intake and exhaust systems are. These are just two examples of the many systems that work together to allow life to thrive on our planet, the largest engine we have. And since our human brains sometimes have a hard time putting things like the size of the Earth into perspective, we're going to use a hypothetical situation to try and provide some clarity. So let's say we created a circular portal, or gateway, at the very bottom of the deepest part of Earth's oceans. This circular portal would magically transport the water off-planet, basically acting like a large drain. The width of this drain is about 20 meters across. That's about 65 and a half feet for our American friends. Wider than the standard size basketball court. So how long do you think it would take for the oceans to completely drain? While you think it over, Carlos will cue up the music. Welcome to Viable Underdogs, where we try and teach you cool things and hopefully encourage everyone to become a bit more sustainable. My name is John, the Type 1 Solution Carlos is with me as well. This is episode 28. Today we compare the similarities of the planet Earth to an engine in order to really stress the urgency of correcting sustainability as soon as possible. Once the planet's sustainability feedback loops start, it's possible there will be no stopping this global catastrophic failure. Before we answer the question, we encourage you to head on over to xkcd.com to check out more scenarios like the one we, uh, kinda borrowed. It's an awesome site with funny cartoons and super simplistic explanations to some pretty wild hypothetical situations. So what was your guess for how long our ocean drain scenario would take? The number is big, so we've got to pause for dramatic effect and slap in an annoying drum roll. Carlos, drum roll please. In reality, it would take hundreds of thousands of years for the water to drain. 
that's how big the Earth is. This is something to keep in mind when we consider how long things take on a planetary scale. And this is why humanity sometimes makes the mistake of thinking that the Earth is too big for us to affect it. But humanity has been abusing this planet-sized engine for over 150 years now. There are things required to be monitored and maintained in an engine in order to ensure smooth operation and prevent future problems. And we will take two terms associated with engines and engineering and apply them to global sustainability. Tolerances and feedback loops. As usual, we have simplified these concepts for ease of understanding, so we appreciate our listeners keeping this in mind. Tolerance is a fancy way of saying the amount of abuse an engine can take before it undergoes a catastrophic failure, or, in layman's terms, kaboom. This tolerance is engineered into many things we humans build. Plane engines are tested in a factory with the help of a chicken cannon. And while we apologize in advance for the imagery, the name describes exactly what it does. While this may be an unsettling thing to picture, a plane's engine may encounter things in flights such as birds, so tolerances need to be tested to ensure continued engine operation. As mentioned before, some engines continue operating even after they are long, long overdue for an oil change. This denotes a high tolerance for abuse. But the important thing to keep in mind is that even the most resilient engines will eventually break down. We are pushing this planet further and further and it will eventually reach a point of catastrophic failure. One of its major systems will break down. The second term is feedback loops, whether positive or negative. Positive feedback loops accelerate problems like climate change and negative feedback loops would do the opposite. And to better explain this, we'll use the analogy of a feedback loop that can occur in diesel engines, runaway. This is mostly a problem with old-school diesel engines, but it explains the concept quite well. In a normal gas engine, the fuel is ignited with spark. Not much different than if you run your feet along a carpet to give someone a static shock, just far more precise. A diesel engine does not have spark. It ignites the fuel with pressure. And since it does not operate on spark, it can't really be flooded with fuel the way a gas engine can. The more fuel, the quicker the diesel engine goes, and diesels also have the ability to use things that are not meant to be used as fuel, as fuel. There are many ways a runaway diesel situation can happen, but it all has to do with the same principle. An unregulated amount of fuel that keeps it going faster and faster. Here's one way a runaway diesel can happen. If the engine is old and has been neglected, it can have larger openings throughout the engine, in places where seals have started to degrade. These openings make it possible for engine oil to go to places it's not meant to go, like inside the combustion chamber. So the diesel engine basically cannibalizes itself and starts to use the fluid meant to protect it, oil, as a source of fuel. This process won't stop till one of two things happens. The source of fuel runs out, or, more likely, the kaboom situation we mentioned. Here's an even more simplistic analogy for a positive feedback loop. Imagine a small fire has started inside of a building. Some buildings are equipped with sprinkler systems for exactly this reason, 
But what if, instead of water coming out of the sprinkler system, it was gasoline, or another accelerant? As the sprinkler continued to spray fluid, the effects of the fire would worsen and spread, and it would enter into a feedback loop. The more fluid, the bigger the fire. Back in episode 2, we mentioned how Venus has suffered a runaway greenhouse gas effect. This is an extreme example of a positive feedback loop. This is the same effect that is artificially heating the Earth, resulting in a chaotic global climate. To be clear, Venus is an exaggerated example of this effect, and we are not trying to suggest that the situation on Earth would become as extreme as on Venus. Sadly, it will take far, far, far less greenhouse gas to create dire consequences for our world. Not to mention, it is not the only feedback loop scientists are concerned about. We are pushing this planet's natural tolerances into uncharted territory, and we are on the verge of starting a chain reaction of our planet's feedback loops, assuming we haven't started this process already. One of the many sustainability feedback loops scientists are concerned about is methane. We have large deposits of methane that are currently frozen year-round. Methane, like carbon dioxide or CO2, is a greenhouse gas, except that it's a much more potent version. Although it stays in the atmosphere for less time than CO2, it is 20 to 30 times stronger in terms of its greenhouse effect. Globally, there are large deposits of methane frozen year-round, and current projections are stating that many of these are at risk of melting in the very near future, particularly since we have not altered the amount we are currently warming the planet. See episode 14. As our planet gets hotter and the climate more chaotic, these methane deposits will melt, and a sudden inrush of methane will be released into the atmosphere, possibly causing a feedback loop continuously adding to the problem that already exists. This melted methane is the same as the unregulated fuel source in runaway diesels or the gasoline in the sprinkler system. It compounds the sustainability issues already present, and it's only one of the many runaway feedback loops in Earth's engine. Others include ocean currents, deforestation, and the thawing of the North and South Poles. There are other things currently trapped in ice, including mercury, microplastics, and radiation that could be leaked into our environments as this ice melts, possibly causing more feedback loops. We'll leave some articles at the end of the episode if you would like to do more research. To really drive this point home, and double down on the urgency we mentioned back in episode 16, we here at Viable Underdogs are unsure about the success of many of our strategies when these feedback loops start to run away. An experienced mechanic may be able to stop a diesel runaway if they react quickly enough. But once a runaway or feedback loop starts, it can be a very difficult, if almost impossible, thing to stop. And even if it is stopped, the damage to the engine, our planet, could still be catastrophic. Every day we put this off, the damage done grows, and the likelihood of entering into a runaway feedback loop increases in possibility. That means that every day we allow this to go on without taking realistic steps towards change, then future costs increase dramatically. And by cost, this is both financial, in terms of money, and, well, the lives of lots of people, possibly even everyone. 
Currently, it seems that we're still waiting for the problems to worsen, and once they do, and the victims of our unsustainability grows, and the costs associated to repair the damage also grows, then maybe, at this point, we will start to take it seriously and start implementing realistic solutions. The really troubling thing is that this point more than likely coincides with when many of these feedback loops start running away. This, in turn, makes applying the solutions a lot more challenging. It's even possible that we won't have the ability to correct the problems at this stage, when the feedback loops start to run away. Sustainability is not a steadily gradual problem. It's an engine that has been neglected and is continuing to be neglected. When a car engine is neglected long enough, it will undergo catastrophic failure. The resulting force can be enough to send chunks of solid metal flying through other chunks of metal like they're as thin as paper. A mechanic can see signs of a neglected engine and try to warn the owner. Just like scientists and engineers are trying to warn us about the planetary engine, Earth, right now. Typically, the larger the engine, the bigger the kaboom when the catastrophic failure occurs. How big of a boom do you think our planet's catastrophic failure will be? Seriously, Earth, call Kenny Loggins, because you're in the DANGER ZONE! Back in episode 19, we started talking about how our global civilization is probably exactly where all civilizations end up. Stuck with a global problem that can only be addressed with a global solution. Or, it could spell the end of our civilization. If humans survive the next 100 years, we will likely have passed the hardest threshold for a civilization's survival. Physicists measure a civilization's level of advancement using the Kardashev scale. In 1964, Nikolai Kardashev, an astrophysicist, created a scale based on the theoretical energy level that a civilization utilizes. These are categorized in type 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Type 0 is where humanity is today, but the 21st century may very well see humanity's transition from a type 0 civilization to a type 1 civilization. Type 1 civilizations are planetary, global. These civilizations are able to control the natural forces on their planet, something humans are already doing to some degree, as briefly mentioned in episodes 1 and 15. These Type 1 civilizations may also have permanent presence on other planets and celestial objects. You know, kind of like the mission to Mars we may see in our very lifetimes, which may require permanent bases on the Moon and possibly even the Red Planet. Type 2 is stellar. These civilizations are similar to the Planetary Federation in the television shows Star Trek and the Orville. The other designations won't do too much to further our point here, but as always, we encourage you to do more research on your own. The Kardashev scale is pretty neat. We are currently a Type 0 civilization, and current projections put us at a Type 1 civilization within 100 years. You already see evidence of this. The Cold War was a Type 1 style war since our global nuclear arsenal can decimate the majority of life on this planet. The internet is a type 1 communication system, since billions are internationally connected to it and can all talk to one another. 
The economic crisis of 2008 showed that we are transitioning more and more towards a global type 1 economy. English is quickly becoming the most dominant language and could arguably be called a type 1 language, a universal language, or we may end up deciding on a different language to use as universal. Our species now has to make decisions on a global level. The transition from type 0 to type 1 is the hardest hurdle civilizations have to overcome. And the problems associated with issues like the 2008 economic crisis, the Cold War along with the threat of nuclear war, or the current sustainability crisis all have the potential to create world-altering outcomes. Some are not happy with this change, but a lot like how we mentioned in episode 25, like it or not, the choice has been made for us. The only thing that will save our world is applying type 1 style thinking to correct this style of type 1 problem. Any solution based primarily on scaling back the world we have created today won't work because we are on the brink of causing these runaway feedback loops. As we've said before, we need to double down on human ingenuity. The current projections state that in about 10 years we will no longer have year-round Arctic ice. This could very well be the start of a feedback loop, and in our upcoming change episode, we will be discussing how effective change usually takes between 5 and 10 years. And this is for much, much smaller entities than the Earth, so really, we're already pushing our own limits here. Realistic change should have started decades ago, like when the International Panel on Climate Change, or IPCC, was created in 1988 over 30 years ago. We cannot solve a problem as complicated as sustainability, particularly with the timelines we have, with our old Type 0 civilization solutions. We need to be more strategic, more methodical, and more collaborative. We need a Type 1 solution, a global solution. We need to apply lateral thinking and integrate the business concepts learned from the business field in the 20th century and use these concepts to address our global sustainability challenge. Or, global sustainability crisis if you want to be more precise. Some businesses already adapt prototype versions of this style of type 1 thinking. As we would come to expect from the field that has been forced to adapt a constant, rapid, and oftentimes chaotic change and mass disruptions. This is a pretty cool, profound, humbling, and even possibly terrifying notion. All of us alive right now decide the fate of our species and this planet. It could be argued that out of anything that has happened in humanity's past and anything awaiting for us in the future, no generation will have had a greater impact on Earth and humanity than those of us alive right now. No pressure. Cheers. Thanks for listening. As always, please share and forward this podcast. The first step towards realistic sustainability is in knowledge and discussion. And this can't happen without everyone's input. Please send any questions, comments, or feedback loops to viableunderdogs at gmail.com. Our intro music is composed by Mark Kronowski and the music currently playing by Jonathan Atkinson. Special thanks to zapsplat.com for the drum roll sound effect. 
The ocean draining scenario was pulled from xkcd.com. There's lots of neat stuff there, and the what if section is where you'll find more scenarios like the one we use on the show. More info on sustainability feedback loops can be found at theguardian.com. The first article is called, What are climate change feedback loops? Published on January 5th, 2011. The second article is called, Arctic ice could trigger uncontrollable climate change at global level. Written by Fiona Harvey on November 25th, 2016. More info on the climate impacts of methane can be found at the United Nations website at unfccc.int. The article is called Why Methane Matters and was published on August 7, 2014. More info on the thawing of year-round Arctic ice can be found at euronews.com. The article is called Arctic Could Be Ice-Free in the Summer from as Early as 2030 by Alice Tidy. Info on the release of radiation and other pollutants can be found at bbc.com and popularmechanics.com. The BBC article is called The Poisons Released by Melting Arctic Ice, written by Tim Smedley on June 17, 2019. The Popular Mechanics article is called Climate Change Could Unleash Long Frozen Radiation, written by David Grossman on April 15, 2019. Further explanations on the Kardashev scale can be found at futurism.com. The article is called The Kardashev Scale, Type 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, Civilization. Published on July 19, 2014 by Jolene Creighton. Last, you can read more about the International Panel on Climate Change at ipcc.ch. Fun Carlos fact. Carlos largely prefers winter to summer, so he really isn't a fan of our artificial heating of the earth.